here. Um, part of the new year at Christ Church means a new series, or an old series. Uh, we're returning to the book of Mark, where we will be for the next couple of months, up until Easter. Today's text really needs no introduction. Please uh, look to God's word with me. From Mark chapter 6. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. And when she went out, and she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in and immediately, with haste, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me the head of at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and he beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we now come to this text and we ask that you would help us. Help us to understand, open our eyes to see your Son, even as he is being preached in today's text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be back after the Christmas holiday. I don't know if you know me. My name is John Mata. I'm the pastoral intern here working primarily with youth. And I was traveling home uh, for the holiday for Christmas Day. And like many, I was stuck in the Denver airport on Wednesday night. I had a flight at 9.55 p.m. And it was minus 15 degrees. And my flight got delayed. And then it got delayed again. And then finally, at midnight on Wednesday night, we're all uh, brought onto the plane, and after waiting about a half hour, being very relieved that we're finally 
flying back to Chicago, the pilot comes on the inter intercom and he says, folks, uh, between de-icing planes and them getting to the runway, they're freezing again, however that works, and we need to de-ice them. In other words, your flight is canceled. And there was a collective groan on the plane like I had never heard before. And I think there must have been over 1,500 people in the Denver airport uh, looking to reschedule, or even just in the Southwest terminal. And there was just people looking to reschedule their flights. And I saw various responses to the cancellations. I saw multiple mothers traveling alone in tears or close to tears with their kids. I saw men angry at the uh, help desk trying to get their flights rescheduled as though the Southwest people control the weather. And then you have my own response, which was a little bit of, a lot of disappointment, a little bit of apathy, because it was totally out of my control, right? Well, similarly with the book of Mark, up until this point, uh, the book has been documenting various responses to the message and teaching of Jesus. So if you remember back in uh, Mark 1, verse 1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or you could put it differently, the beginning of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ, or concerning Jesus Christ, right? So this is a book about Jesus, and it's documenting to us the responses he's getting to his message. So whenever you're reading the gospel of Mark, you have to ask yourself, what is this teaching me about Jesus, and how am I responding? And if this book really is about Jesus, then today's text feels like a bit of a digression, right? He's not even mentioned. The main character in today's story is Herod. Jesus isn't even mentioned. And I think that this text poses two problems for us. So my hope is to uh, just demonstrate to you the two problems and then just demonstrate how Jesus is the solution. And so my main point is this. When we fail to see Jesus for who he is, it leads to us being trapped by our sins. Therefore, the solution is Christ himself. I have three points. First, the first problem is that when we fail to recognize Jesus for who he is, it leads to sin. The second problem is that this sin will leave us trapped. And then my third point is just to address how we might respond to the problem of our sin. Point number one, when we fail to recognize Jesus for who he is, it leads to sin. So if you could, please look down at verses 14 through 20 with me. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So verse 14 begins, 
King Herod heard of it. King Herod heard of what? If you remember from last year, now I can say that, uh, if you remember from last year, the section just preceding this one, uh, we see Jesus is rejected in his hometown. And then he sends the apostles out two by two, right? And now they're going to the villages and towns in and around Nazareth, calling people to repent, and they're performing miracles. And this is why I think we see that both the people as well as Herod believed that this was John the Baptist raised from the dead because they are doing the things that John the Baptist was doing. Verse 14 says that the people are saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And then verse 16, but when Herod heard of the miraculous powers, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So from the very beginning of today's text, we have a problem of mistaken identity. Right? The text says that from the very beginning, Jesus' name had become known. His name had become known, and in response to this, we see uh, a couple of theories about who Jesus was. Right? One is that he's John the Baptist. The others, he's Elijah. The others, he's some prophet like from of old. Yet for all of these interesting theories about who Jesus was, no one had the sense to think that maybe this is a new and better person. And so lest we think that recognizing Jesus for who he was was only a problem for people in Jesus' day, let me offer to you at least two ways in which I think that we can do this today. The first, by way of example, I remember I used to live in downtown Chicago. I worked as a server at a deep dish pizza place, and I was getting off work once at 2 a.m. on a Friday night, and I didn't want to take the subway home because I'm not stupid, and it's Chicago at 2 a.m. And so I took an Uber, and I remember seeing, when I got in the car, there's a little like wooden book, and on it was, was Arabic, and it was hanging on this guy's mirror, and so I assumed he's probably a Muslim. I'm energized from my work shift, so I have to have a conversation. And so I ask him what his book was about. And then we get to talking, he happens to be a Muslim, and, and I, I mention that one of the biggest differences between the Christian faith and Islam is what we, deal, what we do with Jesus, the person of Jesus, right? And his response was, well, we believe Jesus was a great prophet. And indeed they do, even still, Great prophet is a drastic understatement when you are speaking of the God who created everything. So that's the first mistake. You have people who think Jesus was merely a prophet or the sort of Bellingham version is he was a good spiritual teacher. But I think the mistake goes even deeper. The second mistake I kind of take from two or three conversations I've had with people in Bellingham, and without going into detail because I, I know these people, uh, even in a city like Bellingham, people seem to think Jesus was a good guy who had good things to say. And this, I think, was actually the mistake of Herod, right? You can recognize that Jesus and the Bible have good things to say about justice, sexual ethics, right and wrong, morality, all of these things. You can, you can think that and still remain unchanged, the danger of this mistaken identity is that we do not recognize Jesus for who he is. He is not merely a prophet. He is not merely a good teacher. 
He is God the Son who was sent to save us from our sins. And whether or not you recognize that has huge implications for how you respond. And Herod himself is an example of this. See, in verse 18, we see John has been proclaiming to Herod that his marriage is immoral. Right? Herod was Jewish, and he should have known that to marry your brother's wife was a, a violation of Levitical law. And yet, even still, verse 20 says, when Herod heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. In other words, Herod teaches us that you can be fascinated by what Jesus and the Bible say. You can think it's interesting and even important, but you cannot solve the problem of your sin. And we'll see in the next point how Herod's sin actually leaves him trapped and how our sin can leave us trapped. And this all extends from or stems from the mistake of, uh, of, it stems from Herod's mistaken identity of Jesus. Herod's guilty conscience prevented him from seeing who he was and seeing who Jesus was. Had Herod been able to recognize who John was preparing the way for and had he recognized Jesus, things might have gone differently. And friends, this is the absurd Yet true reality about Christianity, we really believe that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. He really is God, and he calls each of us to turn from their sins, to repent, and to believe in him. One author puts it this way. This is the really scary thing. Not that Jesus might be identified with a remote, lofty, imaginary being, but that God, the real God, the one true God might actually look like Jesus, a shrewd Palestinian villager who drank wine with his friends, agonized over the plight of his people, taught in strange stories and pungent aphorisms, and was executed by occupying forces. To say that Jesus is in some sense God is of course to make a startling statement about Jesus. It is also to make a stupendous claim about God. And so let me ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that the living God was made manifest in the flesh? And if so, how should we then live? Right, I work with teenagers here at Christ Church. And I would ask you as well, do you believe what you've been taught? Right, I mean, the Bible says it, so it must be true. But if it's true, what does that mean for your life? Right, let me tell you, as you become more independent, uh, you, will be, you will feel drawn off to other things. People will offer to you different Jesuses. And let me say that regardless of what they present to you, it's not the real Jesus, and it's way more, it's, it's boring, to be honest. Well, recognizing Jesus is something Herod very much did not do. And this leads me to my second point. Herod's refusal to recognize Jesus actually left him to being trapped by his sin. So point two, sin will leave us trapped. So far in the story, Herod has mistaken Jesus for John the Baptist because of his guilty conscience. And then following this, Mark presents to us a bit of a flashback beginning in verse 21. And the historian Josephus talks about Herod Antipas, which is the Herod mentioned in this story. There's a lot of Herods. 
and he was known for the parties he threw and the, you know, putting himself around influential people. And then the wine is flowing at this party, and Herod has Herodias' daughter come and dance for him and the other influential men. So if you're following the story, Herod's wife, Herodias, is the ex-wife of Herod's brother, and then from that marriage, they had a daughter who Josephus says her name was Salome, who would have been somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. And he has her daughter come and dance for him and the other influential men. And friends, this was no tap dance. Uh, Mark is brief because this is sick. This is sick. The pattern of Herod's life is one where he is called to repent of his sins, and then he doesn't. And then more sin flows from that. Following this, we see Herod drunkenly promises that she can have whatever she wants up to half of his kingdom. And this is quite a grandiose promise, right? And it really shows the type of man that he was, right? Because you see, in the beginning of this passage, Mark calls Herod a king. But Herod was not a king. Herod was a tetrarch, right? He was more of a a governor, In fact, this is, again, why Josephus says that Herod and his wife were banished from Rome is because his his consistent subverting of Roman power. This is the kind of man that Herod was. He wanted to be perceived as a mighty and a powerful ruler. And so this is why he made such a grandiose promise. And then in response, Salome asked her mother, "What, what should I ask for? And here she sees her opportunity. And so look at verse 25, where Salome uh, repeats Herodias' request, and Herodias finally gets her vengeance. I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king's response is immediate. The king was exceedingly sorry. He was exceedingly sorry. You see, what got Herod into the position is that he was married to his brother's ex-wife. And then he makes a promise to serve his own ego, and then following this, he has to behead someone he very much does not want to behead. Friends, Herod's sin left him trapped, but it wasn't just his sin that left him trapped. It was his refusal to acknowledge it, right? Lust is one thing. Lust and a refusal to repent is another And when John boldly reminded Herod of the sin he committed by marrying his brother's wife, Herod could have repented, right? And let this serve as a reminder to those of us who have friends who point out sin in our life, don't spurn that gift. Don't spurn that gift. Do not be angry like Herodias, because it's a gift. Instead of repenting, he has Herodias' daughter dance before him and other powerful men. And yet, even still, Herod could have repented. Or again, when Salome asks for, Herod's, uh, for John's head on a platter, Herod could have said, you know what? I shouldn't have made that promise. I can't, I can't give you the head of an innocent man on a platter. But he didn't. And I think whether you are a Christian or not, you know this very experience. The experience of doing something you know you shouldn't have and then feeling trapped because of it. You know Herod's experience. Or maybe your response is, I've never married my brother's ex-wife. 
I've never had children dance for me. I've never cut off the head of an innocent man. And maybe that's true. Maybe you have never done those things. But there is one mistake I think we all share with Herod. You see, I pointed out earlier that Herod was not a king. He was not a king. Yet Herod desired to make himself a king on the throne in defiance to both Jewish and Roman law. And you and I do this every day as well, right? You see, instead of listening to Jesus every single day, you and I make ourselves kings of our own heart. Instead of giving our allegiance to God, we exchange that for a lesser king. We want to be king. And this leads to my final point. How do we respond? Well, I don't know if you know the end of the story of Herod's story in the New Testament. Uh, The last we hear of him is actually in Luke chapter 23. Pilate has just sent Jesus to be examined by Herod because he happens to be in Jerusalem. And then Luke 23 says this, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about it. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Friends, John the Baptist was kind enough to offer King Herod a chance to repent. John the Baptist was kind enough to offer King Herod a chance to repent, and he didn't. And then when finally Herod meets our Savior, Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? Nothing. Our kind Savior says nothing to Herod. And if I cannot do what John the Baptist did, then I really have no business talking about this passage. And so I'll state this clearly. There is no second chance after death. There is no second chance after death. If today God is convicting you in your heart of sin, do not wait to repent. Do not wait. I remember a manager I had back when I was waiting tables at this place downtown. His name was Matt. No relation to Matt Boffey. And Matt was uh, very open about his experience as an alcoholic and his time in Alcoholics Anonymous. And one thing he told me they would say in his meetings, I don't know if this is a universal to AA or not, he would say that they would say the best that you could do got you here. The best that you could do got you here. The best that we could do got us here. So there's two ways I think we should respond to where we have gotten ourselves. First, don't just be perplexed by the things God has said are wrong. Don't just be perplexed. Our first response to our sin when it is presented to us is to say, good heavens, I have sinned. I have sinned, and my sin has made me an enemy of God. The solution to God as your enemy is not to fight him. It's to ask him for help. And so if you sit here today and you recognize your sin, don't set that gift aside. Don't set it aside. Ask God and he will forgive you. and He will cleanse you. The very one who condemns us because of our sins has made made himself our savior from sin. And so don't make the mistake that Herod made where he did not recognize Jesus for who he was and what he came to do. Jesus came so that those who believe might be saved. And so I invite you to see Jesus to hear Jesus not as your enemy, but as your friend, 
right? And this is a challenge for us in the church too, right? Think about the things that we struggle with, right? Maybe you're struggling with singleness and you don't know how to see God's purpose in that. Uh, Or maybe your kids are driving you up the wall. The call of today's text isn't to say those things aren't painful. It's to say that even if it's painful, it's also for your good. The most wicked act done in history, the crucifixion of the Son of God, is the framework through which we can see our own suffering. And so if you are part of God's people, know that the God who has extended mercy in Jesus Christ also offers commands, not so that you can earn his favor, but for your good and for your neighbor's good. And he also points out your sin so that you may be more like him. And if you're not a Christian, and if you are, know that God Know that if you trust the Lord Jesus with your salvation, you will be saved. You will be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your servant, uh, John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for Jesus. I ask that you'd prepare our hearts uh, to receive you and to worship you. Uh, As we go out this week, in Jesus' name, amen.